we get into resolution 2012. Resolution 2012. Anybody, anybody uh, write 2012 yet? You know, on a piece of paper? You write 2012? Thank you. We have one check coming in this morning. Is that the only check we're going to get this morning? Come on. Yeah, well, I know. It's kind of an odd thing. Is it, is it the first time I always write 2012? I'm an automatic giver, so I, I don't haven't written it either yet. But uh, um, when, when you write that number for the year, isn't it kind of an odd feeling when you do that for the first time? You know, and how many times over the next week or two weeks will you write 2011 and say, oh, shoot, right? you got to re- redo it. Well, we're in uh, 2012, and uh, this morning um, I want to just uh, help, uh, hopefully help us all come to the place as we move into 2012 and think about what does that mean for us, what does God want us to do with it, how does he want us to use it, and uh, just to give you an awareness of what's in front of you, okay? Uh, 2012. Now, I have to give you two sets of numbers this morning because how many know that 2012 is a leap year? Do you know that? Yes, 2012. So I tried to sneak it by the first service, and I just gave them the regular year kind of numbers, and somebody afterwards came up and said, ah, 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 which is good. They're listening. But here, So here's the way it, it pans out. In 2012, you've got 12 months. You've got 366 days, 52 weeks, uh, 8,700 and, I didn't add that right. You got 8,760 in a normal year, so you got to add 84 onto that. And uh, minutes, you've got 526,040 minutes. And seconds, you've got 31,622,400 seconds to live out. Do you follow that? The leap year kind of messes it up for me there. But anyway... Um, does it sound like you got some time in front of you, hopefully? So the real question for us, as we are in January 1st and we look at 2012, is not, uh, you know, how many minutes and days and hours and all that are in front of us, but, but ultimately, you know, how are we going to use this time, right? I mean, that's the question. How, how are we going to use that time? And because we get to that question so often on New Year's Day, uh, in this time period, we get around to uh, thinking about uh, resolutions. We get around to thinking about what, what are the things we need to do different. Right? What do you need to resolve to do different in this 2012 time? Have, have you done your resolutions for 2012 yet? Nobody has done a resolution yet. Good. Then you're going to write them this afternoon, um, and uh, hopefully this will give you insight this morning into writing those, uh, those resolutions. Because what I want to do is, is try to start 2012 and get you thinking about some biblical principles uh, that lead us into the new year about Really, as we look at 2012, what, what does God want it to be about for us? Where, where does he want us to go as we think about where our lives ought to be uh, in 2012? The place I want to start is just a simple principle that says the gift we have on January 1st, as we turn this page, is to be able to release our past. Now, obviously, this isn't peculiar to January 1st, but January 1st has this kind of natural thing about it, doesn't it? Where it's like... Okay, 2012 is here, so 2011 is over, and, and there's some sense of, well, that's past and this is future, right? And, and as we're on January 1st here, I mean, a gift for us is to be able to get this biblical principle that allows us to release our past, to just let go, to release our past. If, if you look at the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, uh, he does that. He says, my friends... I don't feel that I've already arrived, so he's not at the place God wants him to be yet. Let's recognize that. God's still working in his life. But notice what he does next. He says, but I forget what is behind 
and I struggle for what is ahead. What does he do with what's behind, the past? He's ready to forget it, right? He's ready to let go of some of his past. Now, what I want to encourage you to think about is releasing your past. Because we can't make it just as simple as saying, look, I'm going to forget everything in my past. No, we don't want to forget everything that's in our past. Certainly the Apostle Paul didn't forget everything that was in his past. I, I doubt very much, and we can look at other places in the Scripture where, where he writes, it's obvious, he never forgot the day when Jesus Christ showed up on the road to Damascus and, and showed up to him personally and spoke to him and brought him to faith, right? I mean, he never forgot what God has done in his life, what Jesus Christ means to him. He never forgot those important experiences of, of how Jesus worked in his life. But yet, he did forget some things. He, he was ready to let go of some of the things in his past that he just didn't need to carry anymore, some of the baggage of his past. There were things in Paul's life that, that Paul just needed to let go of. I mean, keep in mind, the Apostle Paul, this wonderful you know, guy who was out there preaching the gospel and starting new churches and all kinds of great stuff that he did for the kingdom, he's also the guy that stood there and held everybody's coats and incited the riot when they stoned Stephen to death, the first martyr for the church. I mean, this is the guy who was out there persecuting Christians avidly until Jesus Christ came into his life. Now, what I want you to do is think about what if Paul never made this statement? What, what if he didn't get to this place in his life where he said, you know what, there's some things i got to just let go of. i, I just got to forget my past. i got to forget some of this stuff and start stretching forward to what God wants me to do. I mean, what if he would have awakened every day with the overwhelming guilt of saying, man, I can't believe I stoned Stephen to death. I can't believe I, I actually participated in dragging these Christians, brothers in Christ now. I can't believe I drug them out of their house and, and saw to it that they were persecuted. I, I can't believe the things that I did that were so hurtful and mean and cruel and, and violent in other people's lives. He could wake up every day and have that in his baggage, couldn't he? But he's using selective memory. He is choosing the things that he knows... This is stuff i got to let go of, and i got to put this on the cross with Christ. He's ready to let go of the guilt. He's ready to let go of the resentment. What, what if he would have hung on to the bitterness? What if he would have hung on to the bitterness in his life and said, You know what? I can't believe that I was raised a Jew. I, I can't believe that those Pharisees taught me all that stuff that just, that just wasn't meaningful in life. I, I can't believe that, that they led me to be a leader in the, in the Pharisaic movement and and all of it was for naught. I mean, he could have lived in bitterness and anger at all those people, right? Instead, he forgot it. He said, that's the past. I'm going to forget it. And he became one of the greatest people to reach the Jewish community for Christ. See how important it is to do selective forgetting? I mean, there's things in our lives that, that as we come to January and this, this opportunity of today and turn the page to a new year, we just need to be able to say, you know what? I'm just going to... I'm going to let go of that stuff. I'm going to release this stuff in my past. I'm not going to carry the guilt anymore. I'm not going to carry the burden of it anymore. I'm not going to carry the shame of it anymore. I am just going to release that and let God take care of that. This is stuff Jesus accomplished for me on the cross. It's no longer mine. It's now his. 
the Apostle Paul was ready to forget some of his past. But now we've got to be careful as we talk about this principle of letting go and forgetting some of the past. We Christians have the privilege of practicing selective memory. Selective memory. You see, there's things in our past that we just do need to forget, right? We, we just need to forget them. But we've got to be careful that we hold on to and remember the right things. Let me give you an example of that uh, from the people of Israel. When the people of Israel were rescued from Egypt where they were in slavery, you know, Moses brought them out uh, under God's command and uh, brought them through the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness and, you know, things got tough out there in the wilderness and at one point they started rebelling against Moses and here's what they said as they were uh, rebelling against Moses and obviously God. They said, is the Lord leading us into Canaan just to have us killed and our women and children captured? Now look what they remember. We'd be better off where? In Egypt? Are you kidding me? What are they doing? They're remembering the wrong thing, aren't they? I mean, what? are you serious here? Don't you remember back in Egypt you were a slave and God rescued you? Don't you remember what you did back in Egypt? You woke up every morning and said, time to make the bricks. Don't you remember that it was God who brought you out of slavery? And, and don't you remember how God parted the, the, the Red Sea and you walked through on dry ground? Don't, don't you remember the right stuff? See, this is the key for us. We get permission to be able to practice selective memory. We can forget the things we need to forget and just put on the cross with Christ. But we hold on to the things that Jesus has accomplished in us and for us. We remember. See, I don't want to have a day in my life that I forget that I belong to Jesus Christ. I, I don't want a day in my life where I go and I remember, forget to remember that my loved ones who are already with Christ they're with him, and nothing can snatch them out of his hands. I want to remember that, don't you? I, I want to remember. I want to remember that I belong to Christ. I want to remember that God's got promises over my life. I want to remember that God has a dream and a purpose for my life. I want to remember all that. But I want to forget some other things. I want to forget some other things. Where I failed Christ, where I didn't live the way God wanted me to live, where I betrayed him, I'm ready to forget that. See, January 1st, this day, gives us the opportunity to do exactly what Paul says, and that's practice that selective memory. It also means that we need to be able to practice that selective memory and make sure our memories are accurate. There's, there's a lot of people that fall into this rut when it comes to time and, and doing uh, memory. They fall into the warning here of Ecclesiastes 7. You want to say it with me so you get it? You ready? Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. Did you get that? Know anybody out there who just wants to live for the good old days? And, of course, we know the good old days maybe weren't perhaps so good after all, right? I mean, there's a lot of people who get stuck in the good old days. And what they need to do is exactly what Paul did. Forget. <laughs> those, those days are gone. They may have been great, they may have been good, but, but God's got something more in your life. I want to remember that. I don't want to have my life stay back here and just say, 
man, 2011 was awesome. That was that was a great year for me. I'm just going to live 2011 for the rest of my life. Are you kidding? I got to forget that. I got to forget because God's got something more in store for me to do. When we get to these points, we need to practice selective memory and just remember the right things. Remember that God has purposes in our lives. Remember that God has things for us to accomplish. And remember that anybody that belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. This is the gift for us, to remember the right things. And that's what allowed Paul to stretch forward. Paul was able to stretch forward because he practiced that selective memory. He forgot all that stuff that just needed to go on the cross with Christ, and he remembered only the things that propelled him into the future, into what God wanted him to accomplish in his life. What does that mean for us? Okay, well, if we practice this selective memory, it also means then that in the present, we get to reorder the present. We get to reprioritize the present. Look what Paul says. I've not yet reached my goal. I'm not perfect, but Christ has taken hold of me, so I keep on running and struggling to take hold of the prize. Does this sound like a guy who seems to know what his life is supposed to be about? Don't, don't you think? I mean, I know where I'm going. I, I, I'm taking hold of the prize. This is a guy who's forgotten what he needs to forget, but he is moving forward in, in life, remembering what he needs to remember, and he remembers he's here for a reason, that, that he's here for a purpose, that God's hand is on his life, and his life is moving forward according to what God wants. He's got his priorities in a place that says, listen, my life is not about me. My life is about taking hold of what God wants to do through me. You hear that? My life's not about me. My life is about taking hold of the prize, taking hold of what God wants to do in my life. It's about reordering the present, about making sure that we stay focused on the most important things in our life. There was a time management guy who uh, did a little illustration with some uh, NBA students and you know, trying to teach them some, some stuff about time management and everything. And so one of his illustrations, you probably heard this before, but one of the illustrations, he took a big mason jar, empty mason jar, and then he took a bunch of uh, stones, big stones, and he stacked the stones inside the mason jar until you know, the, the last stone was kind of sticking out the top of the mason jar. And then he, of course, went to the students and he said, okay, students, is the jar full? The students looked at the jar and said, of course, yeah, sure, it's full. So he reached in, grabbed the bag full of small stones, small pebbles, and he poured the pebbles in. And, of course, they went down, clink, 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 and filled in around the stones. And he went to the students and said, so you think it's full? And, of course, most of them kind of got the principle and said, no, no, I'm sure it's not full yet. And he said, you're right. He reached down, he got some sand, poured the sand in around the pebbles, and it filled in, and he shook it, and more sand went in there, and he shook it, and more sand went in there. And he said, okay, is it full? And they said, probably not. And it wasn't because he reached in, he got a big jar, a pitcher of water, and he poured water into the sand and filled it all up. And so then he finally went to the student and said, so, okay, What's, what's the lesson here? What, what are we trying to illustrate? One of the students said, well, obviously, no matter how much time you have in your day, there's always room to squeeze in one more thing. No. The guy said, no, no, no. No. 
No, that's not what I want you to get. Here's what I want you to get. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you won't get them in. Think about it. If you don't put the big, important things in first, they won't fit. This is a great thing for us to remember, to reorder our present and, and ask the right questions for us today. What is the most important thing? What is, what is the most important that your life ought to be about? You see, if you don't reorder your present and understand what that is, you'll never fit it in. You'll always be messing with the sand and the pebbles. It's about the big rocks, you see. You see, I know God's put me here for important things, His important things, and they don't happen to be mine. And I need to reorder my thinking. I need to reorder my understanding of what my life is supposed to be about because it's not about what I want. It's not about what I desire. It's about the big honking rock that says, God, how do you want to use me? What do you want 2012 to be in my life? And make sure that I reorder my life according to what you want. Isn't that a great thing to start 2012 with? Now, thankfully, thankfully, none of you said you did your resolutions yet, but if you would have done those resolutions, I would challenge you to pull out those resolutions you've done and say, now look at each one of those and ask the question, is this about me? Or is this about what God wants to do through me? Different question, isn't it? Is this about me? Or is this about what God wants to do through me? The gift of today is for us, Christ followers, to be able to reorder our lives on the big things and make sure we're concentrating on the big things that God wants to do in our life. Paul understood that. He says, when you eat, or drink, or do anything else, always do it for what? To honor God. What's the big rock? Oh, the big rock is he understands his life, first and foremost, is about honoring God, right? That's the big rock. He understands. He gets it. Listen, everything that he does, he says, my life, whatever I'm doing here, does it bring honor to God? That's what I'm here for. That's the big rock. That's what I'm supposed to be about. In Matthew 6, uh, Jesus gives us that same principle, and, and obviously that was his principle in his life, right? He was here to do the will of the Father. He says, but more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants, and the other things will be yours as well. He gives us that, that principle that says, listen, concentrate on the big things of what God wants to do in your life. As you turn the page into 2012, it's to ask those kinds of questions that say, listen, am I living my life in the way and in the priority of, God, of what God wants in my life? Am I doing the big things or am I using these times and hours and minutes and days on the rocks and the pebbles? If you're doing the big things, it's going to ask you then to make sure that as you reorder, reorder your life, that you reorder your life in a way that focuses not on you, but on what God wants to do through you. And if that's the case, it will always point you to others. It'll always point you to others. That, that's the biblical principle. When we do the rocks, when we do the big things in our life, they're never going to be about us. 
They're always going to be about what God can do through us for the sake of someone else. I mean, that's just the biblical principle. We can we can see that in, in Paul. He says, don't be jealous or proud, but be humble and consider others more important than yourselves. Care about them as much as you care about yourselves and think the same way that Christ Jesus thought. Christ was truly God. He didn't try to remain equal with God. Instead, he gave up everything and became a slave when he became like one of us. We just celebrated that at Christmas, right? I mean, the, the, the biblical direction is always that God came to us for the sake of not himself, but for us. And that's what the direction of our lives take, is that if we're doing the big things, the big rocks, then we're going to be doing things that benefit other people, that influence other people. It's, it's never going to be eye-focused stuff. It's always going to be other-focused stuff. We can see that from Jesus himself. When he came and, and before he left, he, he had a party with his disciples on Passover, and they were uh, sitting at the table, and, and what does Jesus do? You know the story, right? He's sitting at the table. He gets up. He goes over. He gets a basin of water and a towel, and he goes disciple to disciple to disciple to disciple and washes each one of their feet. Why? Because he's giving them the example of how we get used by God. He says it in John 13 at the end of the episode. He says, you call me your teacher and Lord, and you should, because that is who I am. And if your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you should do the same for each other. I have set the example, and you should do for each other exactly what I have done for you. What's, do you see the rock? Do you see how when we reorder and we're doing the things God wants us to do, it's always going to drive us into other people's lives. As you're thinking about 2012, it's, it's not about what, what do you want for 2012. It's about what does God want to do in and through your life that can influence others. That's the key. Does that mean 2012 is going to be just a great year, fantastic, everything's going to go rosy and be great? Well, Let's ask the question like this. In 2011, how many people in the room had some really great days in 2011? A few people. Wow. Okay. But you had some really great days, right? Yeah. Now, how many people in the room had some really horrible days? I see some of the same hands go up, right? Why is that? That's the way life is when you live in a broken world, right? I mean, that's the way life comes at us in a broken world. There's going to be some really great, fun wonderful days, and there's going to be some really horrible stuff that we have to go through, right? And 2012 is going to be the same way, because that's just the way life is. The key for us is to understand that's the way life is in a broken world. That's not the way we are. That's not the way we respond to the reality of that broken world. One of the resolutions that I want to just implore you to make is the resolution that from now on you will recite praise into your life. That, that no matter what life holds, whether it's a good day, bad day, whatever day it is, that you're just going to resolve to bring into your life the practice of praise. That you're going to keep that one of those big rocks in your life and say, listen, I'm going to remember the right things. I'm going to remember that God's hand is on me. I'm going to remember the promises God has for me. I'm going to keep my priorities right. But you know what? I am just going to recite praise into every 
situation that I experienced. That's what Paul said in Philippians. He said, always be glad because of the Lord. I will say it again, be glad. What's he want us to always do? Keep the big rock in focus and say, listen, God is still working in your life. Good day, bad day, doesn't matter. And because God is working in your life, you can be glad. We have the example of that from the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote those words. When he wrote this letter to the Philippians, he was in prison. He was in Rome. He was in prison. He was under house arrest. And he was usually chained to a Roman guard. So this is how he spent his days, wandering around chained in prison, chained to a Roman guard. Now, think about that reality. Does that fall in the good day or the bad day category? You can answer that one. My dear friends, I want you to know that what has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. Can you see already he's looking at his situation differently because of a different priority about what's going on? The Roman guards and all the others know that I am here in jail because I serve Christ. Is he self-focused or other-focused? Now most of the Lord's followers have become brave and are fearless, telling the message. Some are preaching about Christ because they are jealous and envious of others. Others are preaching because they want to, want to help. They love Christ and know that I'm here to defend the good news about him. But the ones who are jealous of us are not sincere. They just, they just want to cause trouble for me while I'm in jail. Not a good day. But that doesn't matter. Now look what he says. All that matters is that people are telling about Christ, whether they are sincere or not. This is what makes me what? glad the guy's in jail he's chained to a roman and he looks at his life and says wow this is awesome god is using this moment in my life one of the big rocks is happening in my life lives are getting changed the kingdom is getting expanded god is using this horrible situation for his glory and his honor i am absolutely thrilled and glad you see the difference when you recite praise in your life? He's in the middle of this struggle, and he is reciting praise into his life and saying, God, you are awesome. That can make all the difference for us. He says, always be joyful, never stop praying. Always be joyful, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Whatever happens, good day, bad day, keep thanking God because of Jesus Christ. This is what God wants you to do. He would challenge you this morning as you look at 2012 and just, just make that resolution in your life that you're not only going to concentrate on the rocks, the big things that God wants to do in your life, but you're going to recite praise in every circumstance. And then the last one, that you're going to rely on Christ in everything that you do. A lot of people in this uh, day make uh, resolutions, right? And out of 10 people that make resolutions, only about two people will actually keep the resolutions. Did you keep all the resolutions you made last year, by the way, January 1st, 2011? Anybody? Yeah, not me either, right? Why? Well, because we fail. We fail. You know who never fails? Jesus Christ never fails. He never fails. The, the gift for us is to remember the right thing. It's to remember the right thing and to let go of the wrong thing. It's to remember the right thing, that Jesus Christ never fails. 
that we do. We can let go of that. We don't have to carry that. Instead, we can focus on Jesus never fails. And so we can rely on him for this next year and the things he wants to do in our life. Paul says, but we are the, we are the ones who are truly circumcised because we worship by the power of God's spirit and take pride in Christ Jesus. We don't brag about what we have done, although I could. So he's like, I got a lot of stuff I could brag about, but you know what? It's not me. It's about Christ. It's about what Christ is doing in me. See, in 2012, I hope you make some incredible resolutions about what God wants to do in your life. But I also know that you will fail in those resolutions if those resolutions are all about your strength and your power to achieve them. But if you make resolutions that are around what God wants to do in your life, and you commit those to Christ, you'll be here next year on January 1st saying God is awesome. God is incredible. That when we rely on Christ, it gives God the opportunity to not only work in our lives, but to create that moment where we can lift Him up and brag about Him. Brag about Him. You see, the deal for us is what Paul says here. I have not reached my goal. I am not perfect, but what? Christ has taken hold of me. This is the key for us. If we make resolutions today, if we look at 2012 and say, we're going to forget some of this stuff, we're going to hold on to the important stuff, we're going to prioritize our life in the big rocks, what God wants to do for us, and that's going to move us into other people's lives, but we're going to do it all because we rely on Christ. So when it's over and somebody comes up to you and says, man, how did you do that? You know what the answer is going to be, right? I didn't. It was Christ who lives in me. See, that's the key. I didn't. I couldn't. But it's Christ who lives in me because Christ has taken hold of my lives. He says, when we are, we are like clay jars in which 